Well, good morning. Now, I thought John was a bit quiet, so I'm wondering, am I loud enough? Ray, I've got thumbs up. That's superb. So we're in a series called Our Generous God. Um, and the idea is, you know, if we remember um, where we come from in ancient Israel, they were blessed to be a blessing. And if we are going to be that generous people who gladly give away of our time and our money and our emotions, then actually we've got, that's got to come from somewhere. Otherwise, we're just going to be dead on the floor because we've given out. So in looking at how generous our God has been to us, looking at all the different aspects of his generosity towards creation as a whole and us personally um, as his followers, we'll hopefully be filled up to the top and ready to give. So we're going to start this morning in your heads, or you can shout out if you like. I want you to think of if you had to summarize in one sentence what Jesus taught what would you say? Kingdom. Anything else? Love. Follow me. Love. Anything else? We'll go with that. And the truth is, I guess, most people, when they're asked that, and when I was first asked it, I thought, oh, yeah, love. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, everything is okay. But actually, as rightfully our uh, previous, well, our lovely gentleman here, who was a pastor before, gets 10 out of 10 for saying the kingdom. That is the thing that Jesus spoke most about, the kingdom. In Matthew's gospel, which you find in the New Testament, and here the gospels are literally just accounts written by Jesus' followers about what they observed and heard of Jesus' life when he was on earth. Now, Matthew, one of the disciples... Um, in chapter 3, and right at the beginning, he records um, uh, what happens. John the Baptist uh, writes about, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus goes on, we see again and again that Jesus goes on to say exactly the same words, the repent, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's almost tangible, you can almost touch it, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, uh, mention of the kingdom is over 50 times, that's one and a half per page, we might say, I've been told, I didn't count it myself. Um, And when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? The response he gets is, you are the Messiah, which is the same word as Christ, which we've got up here, which means anointed one, which refers to the king. You are the king, the son of the living God. That is what uh, Jesus then says is, yes, you are dead right. That's who I am. So, and if we think of what's the most famous prayer that Jesus taught, the Lord's Prayer, which says, Our Father, who art in hallowed, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, da 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 da, da and yours is the forever and ever. Amen. So, 
You know, sometimes um, we can get caught, can't we, a bit in the minutiae, the little bits. And saying that Jesus taught love is not wrong. He did. But bigger than that is the kingdom. What would the kingdom look like? Um, You know, John said, you know, what would uh, the world look like if someone was elected into government who uh, was, I can't quite remember what you said, John, but if they were doing the right thing continually, what would it look like to be in that place where the right thing is always done? Okay, or another way of putting it is, what are your why questions to God? You know, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? The reverse of that is, if we're in God's kingdom, we wouldn't see suffering. We wouldn't see pain. So, we've thought about this morning. There's a bigger thing, but the main thing is the kingship of Jesus. But why is it we struggle a bit with that? Why do we struggle a bit with going, you know, when someone says, what did Jesus teach? Why don't we say the kingdom? Well, it's pretty obvious, actually. Firstly, here we are living in the UK in our century, and we don't have a king. So number one, we have a queen. She doesn't particularly have much power or anything. She might have a bit of influence, but that's it. So it's a bit alien to us. Second thing is, when we talk about kingdom, that's the whole thing, we don't always relate to that because we're quite individuals. We worry about our own self-improvement. If you go to a shop, you could buy lots of books, couldn't you, on uh, become more peaceful, become more calm, be be serene, change your life, lots of that. Not much on change your world, change your society, change where you live. Third thing, uh, in Christian circles, there's been quite an emphasis on the kingdom of God uh, being about the end. You know, when God wraps it all up, we're kind of stuck with it for now, but eventually Jesus will wrap it up and we'll have the kingdom. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. That all will be done and dusted. And finally, that probably a strong one for us is just not our story. You know, it's a Jewish story that we have come into as non-Jewish people. You know, that is probably one of the main things that is our obstacle. And so we're going to look this morning from the Bible at that Jewish story that we have come into. Jesus was a Jew, and then after that, people began to follow him who were both Jews and non-Jews called Gentiles. So we're going to look at what was the biblical story of the reign of God. Oh, I have got a thing. Okay. There we go. What is the biblical story of the reign of God? Okay. So in the Bible, when we get to Jesus, we hear him announcing the reign of God has come. Okay. The God is near. But the question then immediately on our lips is, well, if it's come now... Where has it been? What's been going on? What's happened? So we'll go back to Genesis and think about how the rain starts. Now, if you've got a Bible, you can follow or you can just listen. But you should have one in front of you. And we're going to have a little look right at the beginning at Genesis chapter 1. Okay, And that's the first page of the Bible. It's page 3. 
And here, the biblical account, whatever you think of Genesis, and Christians disagree on that, and that's fine, here is an account of how it began. And God creates, and then in verse 27, which you find on page 4, it says the following. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, if you notice there, this is the first time we find the word rule or reign. And it's associated with not God, but human beings. They are to rule. They are to reign on the earth. Humans rule a reign under the authority of God who is ultimately ruling. It's a bit like, let's just put it, it's a bit like if you had like an emperor and that he had kings underneath him. It's a little bit like that. So on the earth we have the people reigning and they, God is reigning through them. What he wants done is happening through the people. What he says goes and it happens through the people. His values, his vision, his will is exercised through the humans. But as we know, if you know the story of the Bible, humans are convinced very early on by an opposing power, and we don't tell much about it. It's represented by a snake that God is holding back on them. And so they reject God's kingship, they reject his rule, they reject his authority, and they reject his parameters, his vision and his values, and they continue to do what they're programmed to do, which is to rule, but they do it in a very different way to how God intended that to happen. And very shortly, we see the first murder takes place. Now, at this point, God could say, well, actually, they're not doing what I want them to do. They're running absolutely right. There's now murder, there's jealousy, there's rage. It's going horribly wrong. And God, standing and looking at eternity, knows what is to come. But he doesn't do that. Despite their rebellion, he chooses to continue to hold the universe up to keep everything working as it should. You know, what happens here is they don't really fully understand the ramifications of what they're rejecting. If they reject the one who is giving them life, they'll cease to be. But that isn't what happens. It's a little bit like Brexit. We reject without knowing the full ramifications of what's going to happen. So along with this, God continues to hold and a promise comes to them that through Eve the woman, a descendant would come and crush this opposing power that stands against God once and for all. And God's reign will once again break through and these people will live under God's rule, his values, his vision, his authority. All the wrongs will be put right. And so the search begins for this person, this king that is to come. Now, 
in the Bible, as we go through, we see that God chooses certain people and he makes covenant with them. He invites them and says, come, live under my authority, my rule. And if you do that, I will bless you more than you can imagine. Why? So that you can be a blessing to everyone else. So that God's love, his compassion, his mercy can be seen through the world. In the Bible, we don't often see God doing any direct interventions. He does it through people. And this is what he does in the story of Israel. He takes the nation. He says, I'm going to bless you. You live by my values and you'll be a blessing to others. Not just so that they can have a nice time, but so that they can then show to others. What is it like to live under God's rule? What is it like to live with him in authority? What is it like? It's a place where people are valued, where people are loved, where people are welcomed and cherished, where people, we don't have poverty, we don't have suffering. You know, this is what he wants to say. I want you to be an example. But they fail and they fail And they fail because something is ultimately wrong. At that moment when they rejected God's values, it's like a virus hitting a computer. It's in everything and every one. And so they continue to look for a king who is to come. Now, let's have a look at Psalms. Now, if you want to find the book of Psalms, you basically just sort of open it in the middle. Okay, so just sort of plop it open in the middle, and you'll find that you'll be in the Psalms. And we're going to look at Psalm 72, because this promise of a king doesn't just come at the beginning, it comes again and again and again and again and again. And Psalm 72 is one of these promises given. You know, the nation is um, it's written of Solomon, and Solomon's considered to be one of the best kings, the wisest kings of Israel, along with David. He did really good stuff, but he also failed massively. He acquired wealth, he acquired, which they weren't supposed to, unbelievable wealth. David, a brilliant king of Israel, messed up with idolatry and murder and even the best of the best. And Solomon, it says of Solomon, this psalm, he's looking forward to God's king coming. And if you look in verse 1, it says, Endow the king with your justice. And we can sometimes think of justice of being punishment. But really, justice is, give, is putting things right. If you want justice, you want it put right, what is wrong. And that's what he opens with. The royal son with your righteousness, to do things the way you want them done. May he judge your people rightly. And your afflicted ones, see that, the ones that are suffering with what? Justice. May they get the just deserves, what they really deserve. Not, um, you know, when you think of injustice, it's when someone's gone to court and it didn't work. You know, the, the bad person got away. He wants them to put the wrongs right. And then look down at verse 11. What does it say? It says, may all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. This is getting a bit more serious, isn't it? This is not just a king. This is a king that rules the whole earth. And if we look on to verse 17, what does it say? 
May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. And why? Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. So they are looking for a king that will come bring justice and bring blessing, and one that will reign forever. And then in the New Testament, Jesus appears. Let's go to Luke's gospel. Ha <laughs> ha. See you jumping around today. Luke chapter 4, which you will find on page 1031. It's almost at the end of the Bible. 1031. Again, a gospel. That means an account of Jesus' life and what he did and what he said. And what does Jesus say? This is right at the beginning. He goes to his hometown in Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue. What does it say? He went to Nazareth, verse 16, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And what does he do? He searches through. There would have been this massive scroll, because that's what it would all be in. You know, it wouldn't be like our Bibles. And he'd be like, I'm searching, I'm going through, you know, it's quite a build-up, this, you know. They're waiting, what, what's Jesus going to read to the synagogue in his hometown this morning? Still going, still going, they're on the edge of their seats, and what will he read to them that day? Well, let's look, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The anointing of God is on me. Because he has anointed me. Who gets anointed? Kings. To proclaim good news to who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recover sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or blessing. He's read out this prophetic Word of scripture, speaking of the king to come, who will be anointed by God and will bring justice and blessing. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back. And the eyes of everyone in that synagogue was on him. And what does he say? Verse 21. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He couldn't be more in their face at that point. Could he? Da-da! I'm here. Thank you very much. And when John the Baptist, who went before him, goes from prison, he says to his followers, hey, nip over to Jesus. Ask him, are you the one? Or shall we wait for someone else? Are you the one? And what does he say? Jesus says, go back. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The rights are starting. I mean, the wrongs are starting to be put right. I'm here. I'm doing it. It has begun. And the king brings his dominion, his reign, Everywhere he is present. On the broken earth, as he walks around, he restores, he breathes his breath, new life to those who choose to live under his reign. 
It's, I'm the king. I'm the one you waited for. Are you going to live under me? And how will this king reign? Exactly how he reigned before. Through his people. Through his people. You know, Andrew, when he was up, he spoke about going to New Wine, which is a Christian conference, and obviously being in some kind of meeting, and he encountered the spirit of God that woke him up and thought, you know, I think God is real. I think he's alive. And as he began to understand, he began to understand then and learn about what does that mean if God is alive, if God is real, if God wants to be with me in my life, what does that mean for me? And the gift of the Son from God is him stepping down into his creation, the true king, the rejected king, to start to show his people what does it look like to be under the reign of God? Because, you know, it's a bit like if you have, um, say you'd lived in a room your whole life that was um, dark and pitch black. You would know nothing else but that. That would be your existence. That would be how life worked for you. That would be your understanding. And someone begins to tell you, you know, there's another place that's light and there's flowers and trees and things like that. And you're like, I don't believe you. But when Jesus comes in, he starts to show what it looks like to live under the king. What it starts to look like. He um, restores people who want to follow him. They become his church, his gathering, his followers. And he begins to reign through them on the earth. And there's the promise that continues, which we look for on Revelation 22, which we often jump to, but it's worth going to now anyway. Right in, this is the last bit of the Bible. This is like the wrap-up, the finale, the end of the story. What is going to happen in the end? How will it end? And we look at chapter 22. Page 1,250. And verse 3. I mean, you can read it all later, but... It says, no longer will there be any curse. That's ramifications of rejecting God. The throne of God and the Lamb, that is Jesus, will be in the city. And his servants or followers will serve him. They'll see him face to face. And his name will be on their forehead. There'll be no more night They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. And then, and they will reign forever and ever. Can you see how here in Genesis they are set to reign on the earth? And then at the end, it's restored. They reign. And how do they reign? Under the authority of the true king. So what does it look like to live under this king? And this is where we're going to finish today. What does it look like? Well, firstly, we can look at Jesus. Because he came in human form and he demonstrated what it was to live under the authority. 
And if you look at his character as he walks around, he talks to the marginalized, the rejected, the people that people frown on their lifestyle. He gets down with people. He even talks to those that are considered enemies of his people. He treats with dignity and respect, and he values them. And you don't see him hurrying around. He often stops just because he can, and he cares. He never ignores anyone. He's not like, this person's more important. No, this person's just an appointment, and I'm going to stop with them right now. And he demonstrates what the true king's love was. He showed compassion and forgiveness, and he gave them a future. And finally rejected by those people who said they followed the king, the true king. He hung on a cross with a crown of thorns. The true king of the world is crowned, but in a very unusual way. And we'll say um, more about that next week because it's such a big topic. But this week, let's continue with the king. Let's look at now at his disciples. If we go into the book of Acts, what is it they're constantly persecuted for? What do the, what do the people chase after them and try and chuck them into prison for? Is it their good deeds? Is it that they care for the poor and the widows? No. It's because they say Jesus is the king. And the church at that time as they began, they were vulnerable. They were exposed. If they said Jesus was king, that wasn't tolerated. We can say it now. I'll go out in Portswood High Street and shout, Jesus is king. And they'll think I'm weird, but it's okay. But they went and they, it says they shared what they had with each other. They loved the poor, the widows, the lost, the broken. They began to bring the kingdom. Those that were sick, they prayed for them. They cared for them. They took people into their homes. And they began to show the kingdom right there on earth. It didn't matter if they were poor or young or old or any ethnicity. They became one, united under this king, the king of the universe. And, you know, the name Christian is not always very easy for us. Because if you look at the media or or even just your friends, they fail continually. They're messing up continually. They're doing stupid things. They're not quite perfect yet. So it can be a bit of an awkward place to live. In the New Testament, one of Jesus' followers, Paul, says the following words, What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I end up doing. And I can really relate to that. I want to be this person that sacrificially lives and cares for the poor and and never thinks about myself. But it doesn't always work for me. In theological words, it's called sanctification. It means the process between here, where I've started with Jesus, and over here, where I've finished with Jesus and everything's wrapped up, is a process of partnering with him. And along the way, I mess up and I ruin it and I do the wrong thing. But he continues to love me and work through me. Even on my rubbish days, when I let him down, when I'm looking the worst of all Christians, when I'm ashamed of myself, guilt is overwhelming me. He loves me. He says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to stay with you. And I'm going to change you from the inside out. Because God isn't asking us to be good. He's asking us to have a heart that's willing to say, 
I want you to reign, to have authority, dominion in me first. And then when you bless me through this, I'll be a blessing to others. You know, as this church, we try to express the kingdom by caring for the homeless, feeding them, by um, taking, if, if children need a home, we try and take them in as much as we can. We look after each other. When someone has a baby, we go and feed them, make sure they're okay. We uh, offer practical things like um, toddler groups. We run them for free and we say we want community and we want the kingdom to come here. One of our members um, a week or so ago went out with this, um, she went out with her street pastors. Street pastors is people who just go out on the street on a Friday, Saturday night, and they help those people that may be too drunk to get home. They're just there. And he took with them um, a guy, he was a medical student, and he'd grown up in the church, but he wasn't really sure if it made any difference in his life. Well, you know, it doesn't really make any difference, what's the point? But as he went out with a street pass and he saw practical love being shown, he said, I think I'm going to reinvestigate this Christian thing and what it means to be serving Jesus. Just um, last week, I was chatting with a friend of mine and we were driving along in the car and she's not, she's not, she's not quite sure where she is with Jesus at the moment. But she said, you know, uh, when my mum was a teenager, she was saved by this church. And here I am in the car thinking, oh, yeah, she's been saved, you know, and thinking, oh, maybe she said a prayer. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Not a bad thing. She said, no, 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 you don't understand. They saved her. She'd been chucked out of her home. She was pregnant. She had nowhere to go, no friends. No one wanted her. And they took her in. They literally saved her. And when I hear stuff like that, it excites me because that is the church doing what it's meant to do. It's meant to take in those that society rejects. That's why we're messy. That's why, you know, being part of this family is a bit crazy because that's what we're meant to do. And that really makes me smile. And as Christians, we might not all have the testimony that's, you know, going to bring shockwaves. We might not start global charities We might not be the William Wilberforces that affects government and stuff like that. But what does God want from us? Just a humble walk with him. Jesus didn't go crazy. He just walked about wherever he went. He said, oh, hello, can I help you? Oh, hello, can I help you? That was about it. You know, Jesus was just looking for a heart that says, I want you to reign in me. I want you to be king of my life. And if I can help anyone, if you can work through me in any way, then I want to be a part of that. Remember when we did Frontline, we heard about the man who moved. Um, Frontline was just simply not a cat um, flea prevention, (laughs) but actually just thinking about, well, where's God put you and how can you bless them? And there was the man who moved house, and he said, God, what can I do? You know, can I start a charity? Can I save everyone? And God said, I just want you to pick up litter. So began daily picking up litter. This was him bringing the kingdom. And over time, he got to know people and he talked with people and they recognized him. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks so much. People will wave at him. We don't have to be the big thing. God wants us just to be faithful with what he's given us and where he has put us. So 
Let's think a little bit as we end. Firstly, I want you to think about this. You know, what has God, where's God put you? And are you asking for his reign to come there through you? Secondly, you might be feeling overwhelmed to breaking point. But remember, God partners with us. We just bring the lunchbox. He feeds the 5,000. You might be confused. You might be thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, God. Am I supposed to do this or this? Oh, it's so confusing. Abraham set off. What does it say? And he didn't know where he was going. It's okay. Just do whatever you come across. It's fine. Just do it. You don't need the angel. And finally, above all that, we might be thinking and going on, oh, what can I do? What can I do? Let's just remember First, God says, I want to reign in your heart. You might be someone today who's not following Jesus, but you say, well, I do that stuff. And that's brilliant. God's kingdom can come. You know, he works through different people, not just Christians. You know, we don't have the monopoly. But he is saying today, am I reigning in you? Have you submitted to me? Do you want me to bring my kingdom in you? And then we'll work together. So let's just pray, and then John will come back. Jesus, we thank you that you are the king. And as a community, we come before you and we just want to acknowledge that you're the king of kings. And we submit to you again. We thank you that even when we've messed up, when we're in our worst of days, you still say, I love you. You're mine and I want to work in you and I want to work through you. And Jesus, if we've not allowed you to be king of our lives, if we're excited by the thought of the kingdom changing, help us now just to come before you and say, Jesus, come be king of my life. Have authority over me. I'm sorry that I've rejected you or not given you much thought. Please come and reign in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.